Welcome to Doctor Who on the Rocks, a podcast where we drink whiskey, discuss the longest running show in science fiction, and arbitrarily assign points to find out who really is the best doctor. I'm Diana, and I've seen it all. And I'm Jen. I've seen nothing. This week's story is Planet of Giants. But first, it's the Whiskey of the Week. So this week's whiskey is by, I don't have any idea how you pronounce this first word. It's all good. Season two, folks. Yeah. Woo. Season two. <laughs> Milam and Green. Milam is like a Houston name, huh? That's a Houston name. That's a street name. Yeah. Milam. Milam. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Yeah. Milam. Milam. Okay. This week's whiskey. <laughs> Milam. Milam and Green. This week's whiskey by Milam and Green. And this one is specifically the Bin Milam Barrel Proof Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And they just won double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Mm. Hey. Hi, Gua. Good job. Um, Props to you. We have not done a barrel proof yet. Oh, fuck. Barrel, so generally when the whiskey comes out of the barrel, it is kick your ass high proof. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at... This is going to kick my this booty. This is going to kick your booty. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Where you're immediately going to want to mix it with something. Yeah. I this currently is sitting at 116.4 proof. <laughs> Just 116? Usually when it doesn't say barrel proof, they've pulled it out and they water it down. Mm -hmm. So anything else we've tried before has been watered down before they put it in the bottle. Damn, even that one that was like 120 proof, that's watered down too? Yes, because it didn't say barrel proof. It probably wasn't watered down a lot, but it wasn't technically barrel proof. Jesus. Um, I was going to bring the Whitmire's barrel proof. That I have, mm-hmm. but I figured we'd already done Whitmire's mm-hmm. kind of recently. Not yeah. recently for us, but recently for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Recently enough. Yeah. So I kind of went with something else and I've been seeing them on Instagram. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought, why not? I okay. went for there. And the World Spirits competition was very recently mm-hmm. in our general timeline. Mm-hmm. So it's very exciting. Um, I've got a short list of things to try for season two. Mm-hmm. But listeners, if you have any recommendations, please send them my way. Because mm-hmm. I'm starting mm-hmm. to run out of go-tos at specs. Mm-hmm. 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 So help. Yes, please. And uh, please keep your uh, 1835 recommendations. Yeah, no, 1835. <laughs> I, Miss I, me I, <laughs> with that, please. <laughs> But no shade. All the shade. <laughs> Dig a hole, bury it. It's dead. All right. So this is barrel proof. We are probably going to immediately. Oh, God. <laughs> Jen just stuck her nose in it. And Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's alcoholic. 
Yeah, it's it. Ooh, you know this, this is like ethanol. You know, it smells a little bit like ethanol. I think it smells like real good whiskey. Yeah, we we have two very different. Uh, <laughs> I know. I one hundred. I I will be honest. I one hundred percent went in today to buy something that I thought you would like, mm-hmm. and I walked out with this. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually went in looking for the premium outlaw yellow rose Uh and they didn't have it. So you were like, let me just. Well, and so uh, then this one caught my eye. I'm also looking at still Austin, which mm, I think you'll like better because it is a corn whiskey and not a rye, Mm -hmm. but at least this one's not rye Mm -hmm. and we'll water it down soon enough. Cheers. Chin chin. (sighs) You know, it hit my nose a lot worse than it hit my mouth. Oh, but there it is. (laughs) <laughs> Just as I said that. Um, oh, wow. There I is can, a fire in my throat. I could. It's like where COVID lives, you know? Oh, this my is God. A, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one to kill the vid, you know? Wow. Yeah, oh. I can feel it. I could feel the um, alcohol fumes. Oh, yeah. Like, you know how. Um, I could definitely start a fire. You can my light mouth. the vapors of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And not actually like the, and it's just sitting above it that I could, I can feel those vapors coming mm-hmm. out of my mouth. Like mm-hmm. I'm a, like I'm a whiskey dragon. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I'm sure if we drink enough of this today, we, by the oh, end of this, girl, we'd be fucked we'll up. be, we'll catch on fire. <laughs> it always reminds me of our friend James, who back in the day would be a vomit breathing dragon. Oh God. That yeah. would be me tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I love you, James, but I have no plans on being a vomit-breathing dragon. Mm. But this is good. This, I would only think I would have been able to 100% say was such a high proof if I didn't know. Yeah, it, it definitely hits your nose first, um, and then your insides feel it later. I can definitely tell, see why this one is such an award winner. Yeah, because... It'll get you real drunk, but it's got like a good caramel, yeah, flavor to its it like initial in palate. Uh, I don't know. Well, anyone wants to. Look <laughs> I that learned up. how bad my palate was when I tried that sip award thing, and I found out that my favorite one when I was like, "This is so good. I love this extra flavor in here. This is so nice. This is the only one I want to know what it was. You want to know what that flavor was? What was it? Coffee." I couldn't even pinpoint coffee, so Girl. it kind of feels caramely. <laughs> but there might be coffee in here. <laughs> no, there's no coffee. I actually looked for coffee whiskey for yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think at some point we'll do like a run of flavored whiskeys, apple mm. whiskeys, mm-hmm. because I feel like, and listeners, feel free to reach out if you think that this is a step too far, but I feel like we could do a whole... Season of moonshine. Mm, ooh, that would be really because really moonshine cool. is just a differently processed. It's like whiskey that's processed differently. Are we talking American moonshine, or yes. would we venture out into international? No, no. Moonshine? well, we could venture out into international moonshine, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like starting with Texas whiskey. Yeah, some people would say that we're being. Keep pretty intense because we should start with like scotch or irish or kentucky whiskey at the very least you know you, you this is not your show but <laughs> right but moonshine is american yeah moonshine is american so we will start with american and the shire mm-hmm. has a moonshine 
Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I was, but I know that the Specs near my house has a whole section of like flavored moonshines. Because mm-hmm. I am not interested in just like straight up moonshine. I don't think mm-hmm. I'll like it. Mm-hmm. I've had moonshine once in my life. And uh, yeah, once I in my life. I think what moonshine is, is whiskey that is not aged in a barrel. So you don't get... Give me some tub shit. You know? I think that can make you blind. Tub? Yeah, tub. if it's pro- improperly processed moonshine can turn make you blind. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe don't. Because you're drinking, tub, so. like, straight ethanol, yeah. and you don't want to do that. Mm, yeah, no, not, not, not yet. Not today. No. <laughs> not even to get rid of the COVID. <laughs> not even to get rid of the vid. <laughs> I don't have vid, guys. We do, All right, so <laughs> this one's really yummy. It has, I'm still feeling, like, that kick in my, it's that one of those where I can feel my esophagus. <clears throat> yeah. I know mm-hmm. where my esophagus is, is in my sternum mm-hmm. currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So if you want to mm-hmm. feel your body parts, this is one. For the, this is one. I can't feel where my esophagus meets my stomach, but I can feel the entirety of my, my esophagus. Yeah, I feel it like here, like in the middle of my chest. Yeah, that's kind of like right there. Right yeah. where like Rihanna has her tattoo, that's where I feel mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right Rihanna, Harry Styles with that moth mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the under the little, boob tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of like this one. Mm-hmm. You're downing it pretty quick, which ha- is It's good, a good sign. Good sign for the rest of the episode, y'all. <laughs> is this going to be a good one? Hey, season two! <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Don't you worry. <laughs> we got, we got, I say, I have a little note that says, excitement for season two, insert here. Do a little dance get down tonight <laughs> so what are you gonna rank it first score of season two. First score of season two have i learned about my scoring yes my average score was an eight it was <laughs> i'm probably gonna get I, I actually i'll probably give this one a nine I'm, I'm gonna give this one a nine same it's you know I, I i feel like this is one of those ones that were like i want to get lit but not drink too much and I could definitely feel like I can have a glass or two of this and be like set for the evening. Yeah, I will say this one was expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but set. We haven't had done an expense like what I would consider a t- expensive Texas whiskey. What is this one coming out to? This one was eighty. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because we've been titling on like. 25 to yeah, thirty-five ish. And with this one, I was like, you know what? Start kick off the season. Start something new. They've got more in our normal price range. Mm-hmm. But I thought for the first one of the season, why not? Yeah. This one will be a fun one to do in the season two flight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Especially since it is that barrel proof to mm-hmm. kind of, since we don't normally do this high of a proof. Yeah. So I am look, I'm looking forward to doing others in their lineup. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that Balcones feel where yeah. they've, it's tickled my fancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated. I'm interested. Yes, I'm ready yes. to learn. Sponsor us. Uh, please. Come <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, even at 80 bucks, this isn't one where I feel like I want to down it. So I feel no. like an $80 bottle was going to last me a while. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Mm-hmm. It's going to look real good on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a double gold. Congratulations. Yeah. I almost feel like I, I kind of want to try it with the ice cube, but I also feel like that would make it too good. 
I, I was going to say, oh man, you're right. Cause I was going to say with the ice, I think without the ice, I think I'll drink it too fast, but I think I might drink it too fast anyway. Yeah. Hello. I was, I you're poured, already done. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Basically. It's a good, yeah. This is a good one. Yeah. This so, is a good one. It's I'm a conservative nine because I'm yellow hesitant. Rose oh yeah. It's just like, I would go back and give yellow rose a 10 based mm-hmm. on everything so far. Yeah. No, for sure. For and we need to go to the distillery so we can pick up all of yes. the bottles because yes. it's real close. Yes. We'll do a field trip soon. Yes. Yes. Now that things are opening up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll do a field trip real soon. Faxed and wax, baby. Summer 2021. Maybe about this point. Fall 2021. Yeah, turn that into a bumper sticker. Faxed <laughs> and waxed. <laughs> All right. So this week, we watched the first episode of season two. Before we get into it hardcore deep, all of the normal stuff we do on an episode, what are you expecting from season two? Uh, well, I think better, (laughs) definitely way better costumes. Uh, Good luck, girl. You you just can't keep on dreaming. God. I was trying to say hopefully better like uh, set design too because now I think hopefully they're starting to realize that it's, mm-hmm. you know, you should probably invest a little bit more money in this. So hopefully a little bit more better set design. But um, also more – I'm actually looking – I feel like for me, I'm going to actually start watching the show now because I really like the dynamic that the team yeah. has now, right? Um, so I'm more invested in seeing kind of how that evolves and what happens. So I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is is the evolution of the chemistry. Also, spoiler alert, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but seeing the TARDIS and like become yeah. more of a character, you know? Because she gave us a little glimpse of, of what she could do. Yeah, the TARDIS is my bit. And now she's back. Yes. <laughs> she my homegirl for life. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm, as a longtime uh, viewer of the show, I'm excited to watch the show continue to develop into Doctor Who. Because mm-hmm. it's still learning what it is. Yeah. And... I'm seeing you respond to the parts of the show that I love. Uh-huh. And so I'm I'm looking forward to continue watching you make that journey and to watch the actors make this journey and the writers and how that all falls together and mm-hmm. watch the bad episodes that mm-hmm. don't quite get where they are yet mm-hmm. and to see at what point in this does this show become Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Also, at what point do the writers become more a staple, right? Because I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of the disconnect is because they have some rando just come in and like, here, write this episode. Yeah, we've had, I think, two repeats in mm-hmm. terms of writers and maybe two or three repeats in terms of directors. Mm-hmm. But I do think we're going to start getting more staples as we move forward. We have some script editors that are going to be... Um, Whitaker is going to be throughout the show for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he's a script editor and he, we're going to see him start writing more. So we are going to start having that continuity, mm-hmm. but 
it still is going to be kind of, because it's filmed in that soap operatic style mm-hmm. where they don't film ahead. Mm-hmm. They film that week and release. Mm-hmm. It is going to be really interesting to see how they're responding to the media because part of what we have to remember in context of this show is in between our finale of mm-hmm. the reign of terror and Planet of giants, there's a seven month break. So not for the actors, but for the viewers. Mm, Okay. So this week we are discussing the first episode of season two, Planet of Giants. Now, this episode was actually filmed with the block in season one. So this episode and the next episode. So these these stories. Mm -hmm. So these stories are going to be a little interesting Mm -hmm. because they are season two, but directorially writing acting they're going to be in the same mindset as season one okay they were filmed back to back now the other thing about this episode that's going to be interesting is this episode is what was initially pitched for doctor who Mm -hmm. was them running around in a world that was too big Mm. so this was tried a couple of times Hmm. until we got to this story so this was a big impactful one Mm -hmm. This story ran from October 31st to November 14th of 1964. Okay. Now, what was happening during this time? Tell us. Not only am I going to look at what was happening from 31 to 14, but we also just had a big gap between season one and season two. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I use, just in case anybody's curious, for most of this, I use the TARDIS Eridatorum by Elizabeth Sandifer uh, to... She does a good job of compressing time. Mm -hmm. So some of the big things that happened is that since Doctor Who was last on the air, this is a big one, Martin Luther King won the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. So we are right in the middle of the civil rights movement in Mm -hmm. America. The other big thing about what's happening in Great Britain is that 13 years of conservative prime ministership has just come to an end Mm -hmm. that 13 years is basically the time since world war ii Mm -hmm. now we have a liberal pm Mm -hmm. and we're going to have more liberal laws being in place Mm -hmm. in great britain so we're going to start seeing more laws making education more accessible we're going to start seeing national health care being more accessible that kind of thing is going to start happening in Great Britain. So it's going to be interesting to see how Doctor Who reflects that. Mm, okay. Because I think we've already been able to see that Doctor Who, science fiction in general, tends to be progressive. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking to the future. They're looking to how things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. So by its nature, it can't be conservative. So one of the things that we're going to start experiencing, especially in Britain, is the rise of the British counterculture. Mm-hmm. So the British counterculture and American counterculture are two distinctly different movements. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other major things that happened is that Rhodesia became Zambia. Oh. So we have another domino falling in the British Empire. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I like that Sandifer points out in Tardis Eruditorum is, and I'll quote this, It is in no way clear that the defeat of the Nazis was anything other than a postponement of the end of the world. Hmm. So we're not like today we know that like we're having a resurgence of Nazis, Mm -hmm. but in that time there is no guarantee that the Nazis aren't just still there. 
We're well, not even in a recession of Nazis yet. Mm-hmm. There is still this whole idea that like maybe they're just still out there. Well, even the ones that got away. Right. To this day. Yeah. Right? So like, it's still just in 1964 is still we're still in that post-World War II pan- yeah. panic. It's that idea that rationing didn't end for the UK too long ago. Mm-hmm. We talked in an earlier episode about that the people watching this show would have been politically conscious mm-hmm. for Mussolini mm-hmm. and Hitler mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everything that was going on with the communist revolutions in Russia. So the world is dynamic mm-hmm. at that at that point. Almost in a similar way that I feel like the world is very dynamic right now. Mm-hmm. As much as we are hyper aware of everything that's happening, so too would the audience watching this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, not the kids, Mm -hmm. but definitely the adults watching Mm -hmm. with their kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, this story was written by Lewis Marks and directed by Mervyn Penfield for episodes one and two and Douglas Camfield for episode three. Where do we know them from? Penfield also directed some of the Censorites. Okay. And has been the associate producer from the very beginning. So he's okay. been working with Verity Lambert. And this is the first we see of Marks and Camfield, but it will not be the last we see of them. Okay. We're going to see them in the future. Okay. So what happened this episode? Brief synopsis. The doors opened while the TARDIS materialized. The doctor freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. The gang explored a mysterious land with huge shit, which turns out to be England where they're just really teeny tiny. They then try to get back to the TARDIS for three whole episodes while we have some sort of a framing element of some assholes creating pesticides and generally making life difficult and downright deadly for the gang. Mm -hmm. That's a great summary. Thanks. That sums it up perfectly. I'm working on them. I'm working on making a better- Season two, getting better. I'm working on making a better framing. By season 10, we'll be- Top notch. <laughs> Finger guns this. all around. Yeah, I'm working on having a better framing for the episodes. Yeah, this is perfect. Beautiful. Okay. Beautifully done, Diana. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Okay, wow. I'm also really drunk oh, by now. Yeah, just so you know, um, the tone in my voice has already changed. Yeah. Because uh, my eyes feel drunk. So, well, what are your first impressions? So, first impressions, I really was like, honey, who shrunk the kids? Right? Very that. Very like with the big old ant and the big old snake. Also, yeah. I really at the onset, I was like, white people, because the doctor went over to the fucking snake and was like, mm, let me examine this snake. White people being white in the house. <laughs> white people being white in the house. I was like, God yes. damn. Like, and I, I wrote that here yeah. somewhere. It was literally like a WPS sees huge snake and doctor takes a closer look. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear from my eye that we were looking at like an earthworm, but hmm. I can see where like outside of the frame of reference of like, oh, we're on earth that mm-hmm. you would say, oh, look at this giant snake like thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was pretty clearly realize. an earthworm because yeah. it had the middle segment, but like whatever, mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my first comment was, Way to begin the season with the TARDIS tripping. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a TARDIS breaks down episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she's coming out. She always is. She's just mm-hmm, she's just showing mm-hmm, her ass a little this episode. And I'm here for it. Right. Drunk Jen. Come along for the ride. Drunk Jen. Yes. 
What does TARDIS points mean? Girl, it's, it is season two. <laughs> Like I said, I haven't seen it written. So, uh, terrifically arbitrary R, right? Yep. Uh, terrifically arbitrary real. <laughs> terrifically arbitrary really drunk. Well, something points with seriousness. Awesome. I'm, we're going to make bumper stickers of all of your guesses. So now it's time for TARDIS points. Terrifically arbitrary rankings determined with intoxicated seriousness. There we go. God damn it. Okay. That you're going to provide to me in writing so that I can recite this next time. Yes. I will email them to you. Yes. Thank you. How did we feel about the doctor for this story? Well, I, I think my first impression was... The fact that he was able to just like apologize for being a bitch. That's my first note. To Barbara. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, sorry if I was a little testy. Mm-hmm. Character growth. You know, you, know, I'm, you yeah. know, I I just get a little wacky and I forget my manners when shit's going crazy. Yeah. Which I hear you. Yeah. I hear we you. all do that. We all do that. But thanks for apologizing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, the whole, the whole, that whole, the couple minutes of that, the initial episode, I was just like, okay, this is a TARDIS flexing. Like, this is a TARDIS making sure that we are aware and we remember, hey, I'm a character here too. Mm. I also uh, have a mind of my own sometimes and I just do shit because they couldn't figure out what the hell happened. So in from your perspective, the TARDIS door opening while they were materializing was a choice from the TARDIS. Yeah, because they couldn't figure out what was going yeah. on. So for me, it was like, oh, so this just mean that the TARDIS mm-hmm. was just doing her, like, she was like, mm, this is I mean, what we're going today. Yeah, fair. You know? So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I don't hate that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't even know if that's what the writers intended, but like, I love that that's kind of how everything is developing. Yeah, because I mean, we, we it, I guess it also came from like our previous discussions of like the yeah. TARDIS and like, you know. No, I love it. Is she malicious? Is she not? You mm-hmm. know, is she here? Mm-hmm. So just that whole like sneak peek, the fact that nothing else could have gone wrong, but they and they couldn't figure out what was happening. I was like, the yeah. TARDIS. I love that like if the TARDIS doors hadn't opened, Ian and Barbara would have been home. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. would have been in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. The doctor did it right this time, mm-hmm. but the TARDIS doors opened, so they were small. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think she's like, we're still going on yet. an adventure. It's not time for you to mm-hmm. leave yet. Your contract's mm-hmm. not up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get back me. on the TARDIS. Yeah. Your contract with me. Because yeah. at this point, she's running the show. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Anything else doctor-wise? Doctor-wise, I just think, like, like I said, based on the, the previous episode, he's just more agreeable mm-hmm. now. You know, still a little patriarch, like, it's a little like masculine energy yeah. out of it. But he's more agreeable. Yeah, I felt like he was definite. He's moving more into 
I'm a cantankerous old biddy, but more or less I'm along for the ride. Mm-hmm. He's more chill about it. You what know? the fuck? Where are we? What's going on? Isn't this exciting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of energy is coming more from him. And as we settle into, I mean, as we all know, I love an asshole doctor, mm-hmm. but I really love the asshole doctor where it meshes with the cantankerous Mm -hmm. and the exploratory and the whimsical. And so we were heavy last season. I feel we were either heavy cantankerous or heavy whimsical. Mm -hmm. And if we can just get those to match, if we can be a little bit of both, that's where I ride good with the doctor. I think it was a good mix of both this, this series. Yeah, one of my favorite parts was he t- he tries to tell Ian what to do at some point late in the series. Late in the series. There are three episodes, like in episode three. Mm-hmm. And Ian snaps back at the doctor and he's like, I'd like to see you try to do it, you old man. Mm-hmm. And the doctor just smiles and giggles mm-hmm. to really show that relationship between the doctor and Ian, you know, we had this like head to head Mm -hmm. buttressing of male egos last Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. And now we're settling into still the buttressing of two male egos, but recognizing where those egos fit with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Ian recognizes he's there for the physical and the doctor is there for the brainy. Mm hmm. But it doesn't mean that the doctor doesn't like needling Ian and Ian's going to like needling the doctor. And mm-hmm. then we've got this like playful relationship between men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really fun mm-hmm. to me. I think one of the things that I struggle, I'm going to struggle with this episode is that there's only three episodes long. Mm-hmm. So we don't get a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of our other stories are four to five episodes, mm-hmm. which gives us a lot more content. Yeah. But the doctor was great. He was fun. He was along for the ride. Mm-hmm. He wasn't problematic. I just thought it was really interesting when Barbara is getting ready to like climb up and like see what's going on. Yes. I and then too. the doctor is like, no, let me do it. And I'm just like, okay, patriarchy. Let the old fucking bastard see because yeah. this you know, fit middle-aged woman can't Taller. do the job. Right. Yeah. I wrote, I <laughs> but, noted that because Susan climbed first, reaches the top, and then goes, oh, I can't reach. When her hand is clearly on the ground, like mm-hmm. clearly reaching. And then mm-hmm. she goes, oh, I can't reach. And then Barbara goes, who is the tallest of our group, mm-hmm. is probably the most fit of the Are group. Are we counting her hair as height too? I mean, no. <laughs> Only that's because that's hair. unfair. That adds like six <laughs> inches. She's still the tallest. And then she's like, goes for it. And the doctor's like, oh, no. You oh, need to let, you poor woman. You need to let me let go. Let me do it. It's like, bro. And then they have to like. You're hold. at the point where you're aging and you're shrinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah they're like holding his elbows while he's like. Uh, oh, I can't reach the next place. But my next, 
My next point was, unless he has got some, like, alien strength, because now we know he's not from this planet, right? That's fair. But also, like, if you got some alien strength, no one's going to be holding your elbows, boo. So Right, yeah. There is let that. Let the younger, taller woman with the helmet hair look over and tell us yeah, what's going on. if she on. falls, <laughs> she's going to cushion herself. She's got a good base. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's got a she's good got, base. She's got about... An ugly clothes to catch her fall. This was... We'll get, into it. we'll get into it. The doctor's looking suave this episode. He's got a real a nice cape, cape. Yeah. that he stole from the French Revolution. That's you very know. useful. Yeah. I'm not mad. A cape is a good look. I wish that capes could come back into fashion. I'd wear one every day. I do not. But, you know. You look good with a cape. Probably. What score do you give the doctor? So, you know, the doctor, I didn't really mind the doctor this time. I, I, I thought he was pretty agreeable, minus his, like, whole, like, oh, let me, the older man, climb on this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was pretty agreeable. So I, I'm, I'll give him, like, a neutral score, maybe a little bit beyond neutral, but, like, a seven. That's high for you. Yeah, because he wasn't really, like, I didn't hate him this episode. I think I still really like the fact that he started with his apology yeah right like because he's that recognizing did a lot for me that did a yeah. lot for me but it also shows too i think even like taking the analysis a step beyond right because we know that he is not from earth mm-hmm. and uh you know the way that he may interact from whatever planet he's from he is learning the earthling ways right mm-hmm. so he's understanding that like I can't be a fucking bitch, right? right? Like, I need to be nice to people who are nice to me and are, like, trying to support me and help me throughout this whole process while I try to get them back to where they come from, right? Right. Um, so I am I am starting to be more of a Dr. Fan. Yeah. So he's getting a seven. Nice. I'm mm-hmm. super into it. Mm-hmm. I Look, for me, you giving the Dr. a seven is... We've come uh, a long way, okay? When? It's been a fucking journey. It has been, no. If you're just joining joining us, season two, welcome. go back to season one. <laughs> um, welcome. Yes, welcome. We love you. We yes, value thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in, but also go back to season one to talk to so you can hear my deep yeah. disdain. Yeah, we've come a long way with man. the doctor. Now I'm gonna give him an eight and a half. Oh shit. Okay, cool. Because nobody's getting Spoiler warning, nobody's getting like super high this episode because for me, it's not a like hugely dynamic one. Like there's mm-hmm. no like no. wild choices being made. There's no like. But the cat close up was yo, a choice. The cat gets a 10. <laughs> the cat was a choice. The cat was a 10. <laughs> the cat was a 10. Just wait till I got deets on the cat actually. I got like behind the scenes info Whose on cat the cat. Is it? <laughs> no, I got behind the scenes info on the cat. So I gave him an eight and a half. And part of why he gets so high is 100% that apology. Yeah. Because note to anybody who has trouble apologizing, that was an apology. Mm-hmm. This was a long way from the edge of destruction where he said, Barbara, you seemed upset. I apologize that I made you upset. Mm-hmm. He apologized for what he did mm-hmm. instead of apologizing for the way he made her feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether that's growth on the writers or on the character of the doctor, he gets an 8.5 because that's gravy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm mm-hmm. super stoked for it. I really hope that we can continue in this growth of the doctor as we move forward in time. Mm-hmm. 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 Which brings us... To our other alien. Susan. 
How do we feel about Screaming Susan? Susan is back and she's here to stay is what I feel. Is what you feel? Yeah. Screamy Susan. Screamy Susan. Screamy fucking Susan. She did have some highlights. She did show up and was like, oh, we're actually small. Like, we actually are in this world and we're just small. Yeah. So I was like, cool. Pilot Susan is back. But then, Screamy Susan, cat, scared Screamy Susan, climbing down the pipe. You do a screamy Susan, just fainting. Uh, Susan, Susan, Susan. <laughs> you know, so besides besides the recognition of like, we are small yeah. individuals here. Oh, also, screamy Susan about Ian in the matchbox. You know, when, when uh, Ian was in the matchbox and the dude came up and took the matchbox and was putting everything in back in his briefcase before he got shot. Yeah. Yeah. Screamy Susan. The thing about screamy Susan this episode. Mm-hmm. Is that every time she was screamy this time, I couldn't blame her. If I turned around and I was a millimeter tall and all of a sudden there's a cat, I might have the wherewithal to not scream, but I'm going to be freaked the fuck out because a cat could kill you. Mm -hmm. Easy. Mm -hmm. Everything she screamed at, considering that we have established that Susan's response to any stimuli is to scream. Everything she screamed at this episode was fair. Mm-hmm. They were fair reasons to be freaked out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we're screaming at a dead pig this time. <laughs> it was, I am screaming because there is a cat that might literally eat me or mm-hmm. paw me into oblivion. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I got, and this will be uh, marks down for Barbara as well, but since we do Susan first, Mm -hmm. the only thing I didn't like Mm -hmm. was that we have this moment where all of a sudden we're standing in front of Sir Deadface, Mm -hmm. and considering that we screamed at Sir Dead Pig, Mm -hmm. and we scream at Sir Very Cute Cat, (laughs) and all of a sudden I am the size of half of an eyeball and I am looking up into Sir Very Dead Face Mm -hmm. and I'm not screaming. Right. It's that idea that in the Keys of Marinus, Mm -hmm. we watched the crazy rapey mountain man be murdered in front of our eyes and we were like, oh, well, that's a thing that happened. And next. (laughs) But I'm not going to react much. Mm -hmm. It was crazy to me that there is a IMAX size large face that we're all discussing is a dead man and we're just not reacting. Mm-hmm. I would love to credit it to the de- um, desensitization of death in this group, but I really have to acknowledge that it's probably bad writing. Yeah. Because even like with Barbara, with the fucking uh, bee or fly or whatever the bug oh, was, yeah, we'll get into fainting. that. We'll get... So you're put a fainting? pin in it. No, no, no. Put a pin in it. All right. We're going to put a pin in that because I got a lot to say on Barbara and the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to say on Barbara and the fly. So Susan screams a lot, a little bit more valid than previously, but uh, we're still seeing that they're just having a hard time with her. There's just, yeah. what do you do with Susan? Which is like, you, you really could do a lot. You could do so much. Every time I see something, I go, 
in the beginning of this episode, there was that moment where I was like, this is either really bad writing or really bad acting. And we know at this point, yeah, you have to be careful. You have to let it water it down a little bit more. You forget that it's so high proof. Yeah, I did that too. It's either really bad writing or really bad acting. And we know at this point from watching a whole season, we actually have really good actors. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them have had moments that truly shine. Mm Mm-hmm. So you know it's got to be the writing, that they just can't commit. It's stilted. Mm-hmm. Carol Ann Ford could have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Susan sucks. Yeah, uh, this is definitely one where I'm like, Susan, you get like a six. Uh, and you don't get a five because you made the discovery that we're small people yeah. this episode. But you're still not giving me... Susan realness that I got on our pilot episode. I gave her a seven for the same reason. Mm -hmm. A little higher because I think with Susan, when I go high, it's a little weighted. When we go high, they go low. When when they go low, we go high. Thank you, (laughs) Michelle. (laughs) Yes, Michelle. (laughs) But like when Susan does well, I like to, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm probably going to weight her higher because she just doesn't do well very often. They mm-hmm. don't write her well very often. Mm-hmm. And in that first episode where Ian, they did that really interesting framing element where they kept bouncing between the doctor and Barbara and Ian and Susan. Mm-hmm. And there was that moment where you think it's going to be stereotypically the doctor and Ian figuring it all out. Mm-hmm. And Ian kind of is figuring it out and then reverts to to 1964 modern science and susan has that out of time out of space alien perspective and so she can go no 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 we're in norwich we're in norwich england and we're small and he's like that doesn't make sense and she's like yo you're dumb well i I forget if it was a doctor or susan that were just like remember like we are not we're time traveling like this is not like susan definitely does that to ian where she's like you're dumb Mm -hmm. it's different yeah we got stuff going on it's a little different you're dumb and she Mm -hmm. fights back Mm -hmm. and because anytime we get susan fighting back i'm gotta i gotta give her some extra points yeah and so I'm not going to give her a lot of extra points. I'm still giving her a seven. But in the grand scheme of things, I feel like this is one of Susan's better episodes. She screams at valid screamy things. Even though I don't think I'd scream at them, I'd still be freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I get mad, really I got frustrated with her with, was when she like reached the top of the grass and she was like, oh, I can feel it, but I just can't reach. <laughs> so let's let the old man doctor do it, even mm-hmm. though she could totally reach. That was the only time where I was like, maybe I mean, we should have taken... To be fair, we don't know her arm strength. So like, could she really pull okay. herself up Okay, well then you say, I can reach, but I can't pull up. That was yeah. a mistake poor, in directing. Poor, uh... Writing and yeah, directing. Directing. That was a directorial deck. That was a problem in in script writing and with the sets. But mm-hmm. the fact that she put her hand up there on the ground and then said, I can't reach, you got to adjust that while mm-hmm. you're filming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was an easy fix that they just mm-hmm. didn't bother to do because mm-hmm. Susan doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So you gave her six. I gave her a seven. We're going to move on to our contemporary characters and we're going to start with Barbara. Oh, Barbara. 
Barb's. I mean, once again, connecting the dots, right? Like I think Barbara has now season two. She she is the character that is mostly connecting the dots mm-hmm. on what is going on, right? She has the whereabouts to really figure out like mm-hmm. time, space. This is happening, right? Um, but you know, Barbara, the fact that she was like sick most of the, but actually one of the one of the notes that I have is like the Barbara and the doctor is a lesson in why we protect the bees. It was like a quick like interlude yes. about the like educational aspect to this it. This is why we need to mm-hmm. protect these insects. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, great. This is still relevant in 2021, especially because, you know, like, you know. And I've got some notes for that for the story element. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, I look forward to hearing those. Um but just like that quick little educational portion, but also just to know that like the bees were <laughs> Needed to be protected for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It was guys. already relevant. Protect the fucking bees. Yeah, it like, was already relevant. All right. So, Barbs, how did you feel about Madame Barbara? Le Barbs. You know, she she did what she had to do in terms of like her connecting piece, but at the end of the day, they still made her a frail woman. <sighs> she was just. I felt she was very plot devicey this episode. Mm hmm. I didn't think they gave her... I feel like we forgot a lot of Barbara's character. Yeah, it was more like, oh, the book is too long. My ankle hurts. Yeah, you know, they made her sick for the point of the plot. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that they made her sick. But she just didn't... I'm also just like, why couldn't they make anyone else sick? Why is it always Barbara or Susan? You know, I would like to have seen Ian get sick. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Not mm -hmm. the doctor, because like I feel like it's weird when the doctor is the Mm -hmm, most incapacitated mm -hmm. of the group. But But there's still just that male gaze in these early episodes, you know, where I'm just like, why does it have to be her? Well, I the historian in me Mm -hmm. says we're we have to accept and just deal. With the fact that we're not getting away from that anytime soon. It's 1964. But I'm still just like, God damn it, folks. You are 100% allowed to complain (laughs) as long as I'm 100% allowed to say it's kind of that whole thing where if I'm, you know, I have to look back at the Aztecs and go, well, they had some human sacrifice. Well, in 1964, the male gaze was just a function of the time. But that was another thing in, in, in talking about like the Aztecs and just Barbara's white saviordom, right? Like. I don't think that I think it's always been at, thus far the females or 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 the the female passing people in the episodes that get like the grunt of whatever is happening. Even with like the Aztecs, like Barbara was a white savior, which you know it's kind of refreshing because it's always like I always think male white saviors, but also yeah. like it also it, it has to be the female or the female passing person to have to paint this role, right? Like. The villain and the weakness. Well, except that the only argument I would give to that is that before the Aztecs, it was always Ian. Yeah, I guess. It was always the Ian or the... The Aztecs is where your viewpoint, because spoilers, I guess, Mm -hmm. kind of, peek behind the curtain, Mm -hmm. I just released the Aztecs episode, so that's Mm -hmm. what I've been editing this week. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Until we got to the Aztecs, your viewpoint was all was where the shift happened with Ian and the Doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. where the Ian and the Doctor started getting a softer edit, mm-hmm. and so before then, it was all, really it was a lot of heavy. me arguing you yeah. down from making them the villain of the week. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess, but still I'm not content with the, even the way that like to just be fair, the overall trajectory, I guess. Yeah, they definitely give like, I would definitely give a lot of credence to the fact that, you know, in the in a lot of the episodes, Susan is this the uh person that has the greatest psychic energy that they that's a very nice way to say that she's a screamy bitch well in the censor rights <laughs> but in the censor let's call rights, it what it is <laughs> well in the censor rights they do talk a lot about her having a lot higher psychic energy than everybody else mm-hmm. that's like a major plot point yeah 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 you know barbara tends to be our connector susan but this is where Literally that choppiness comes in, in terms of like the writers and their like right the choppiness, right? Of it because it's like we, we don't get have somewhere mm-hmm. and then we revert. Yeah, we get much it's, like society, you know. Well, we it's get that somewhere whole idea and we that a writer is writing after having because at this point we're writing while episodes are being released, but we're writing when episodes are being released behind. Mm-hmm. So episode. Four, for example, I'm not sure where mm-hmm. the actual standards mm-hmm. are here, mm-hmm. but like episode four is re- being released. I'm writing an episode, but it's not going to be released until episode seven or eight. So I'm writing based on a Barbara that I watched last week mm-hmm. and being influenced it, whether I like it or not, I'm still being influenced by the Barbara I saw in episode four mm-hmm. while I'm writing this episode that's not being released until season two. And so we get weird Barbaras. We get weird characters every once in a while because it's up to the whim of the writer based on their personal preference or if they're watching the show. Personal preference and I think the whatever is the mindset of that time. Because Absolutely. Well, that's going to be... I wouldn't <clears throat> include that in why we're getting wishy-washy characters because the mindset of the time is going to affect every writer. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It's more of just like the critique of the time than I guess the actual characters because, yeah, different mm-hmm. writers bring different things to light. And I think they're at the, we could obviously see different points where they may have tuned in, tuned out, right? But it's also just a symptom of but 1960s I think, British sh- television. But I think it's a a benefit toward or a plus towards Barbara that Mm -hmm. this conversation is being facilitated by the discussion of Barbara's character, Mm -hmm. because I think for all of them, Barbara is our most three dimensional character. And so we're able to see these changes based on the writer, based on the director. She's probably, if you were going to go through and do, you know, I feel like we're doing a pretty um, baseline critical analysis of all of this. If you were to go in with another like heavy Doctor Who fan and if we were to nitpick every moment mm-hmm. of every episode, mm-hmm. I feel like Barbara's the one to look at if you want to analyze the writers and the directors mm-hmm. because she's honestly the most well-written. Mm-hmm. She's the one that has the most character growth. She's the one that has the most character injected mm-hmm. into her Ian tends to be two-dimensional. Susan screams. The doctor is our framing element. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Barbara is our audience. Mm -hmm. And so it's why I think we gravitate towards her every episode is because she is honestly the most three-dimensional character. 
can't see that. That being said, Barbara shouldn't touch shit. Mm-hmm. Because she wouldn't got poisoned. I mean, she didn't know. But no, but you don't touch shit if you don't know what it is. Definitely some WPS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. White people shit. Yeah. Just... For those that are just tuning in, it's a white people shit. For the people in the back. So some of the things that like in my notes, Mm -hmm. I got, I got real mad early on with Barbara Mm -hmm. because they, they got out of the TARDIS, they knelt down at that little rock wall and Mm -hmm. she said, there are two different types of rock here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ordinary rock. Mm-hmm. and different rock and i kept waiting for the moment where they were at least going to give her like slate granite name Something. that fucking rock but when she went it's ordinary stone and a different one i was like oh my fucking god what is ordinary stone i don't know what is ordinary stone i don't know there's no such thing i don't know news flash for anybody listening there's no such thing as ordinary stone there may be an ordinary stone for your region geologically yeah but if someone said to me oh look here's ordinary stone like what fuck off at least it wasn't ian giving me that line but i did like the issues that barbara had over the cereal over the fact that like all of a sudden you can see that barbara thinks that she might die Mm -hmm. every other time audience and our characters have been like, how are we going to get out of this? That one time Ian's like, oh, maybe I might die in the Law and Order episode. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time we really see where like, we thought Ian was going to get off. And yeah, we know they're going to figure out a way to cure Barbara. Mm-hmm. But Barbara doesn't know that. Yeah. And she does a really good job yeah. of convincing us that maybe Barbara dies. Mm-hmm. Because maybe Barbara dies. I didn't think that she was going to die. The acting in it did not sure. give me that impression. It was more just like Barbara's just being real dramatic right now. I thought that Barbara thought she was going to die. I did, that that thought did not cross my mind. Okay, at That's all. Fair. When I saw this, Mm-mm. they lost all credibility with the fly scene. <laughs> when she turned around and there was a fly and she fainted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost the opposite of Screamy Susan, where every time she screamed, I was like, "That's valid. That's a valid scream." Mm-hmm. when barbara who has been our voice of reason mm-hmm. our logic queen mm-hmm. turned around and it was a fucking fly mm-hmm. if Look, it was a, a wasp or something i would like, definitely it, a like, mosquito ooh, ooh, yeah. there are so many insects where if i turned around at that size i would have flipped the fuck out mm-hmm. but a fly like what's it gonna do mm-hmm. what's it gonna do flap in your face <laughs> it's gonna annoy you it's gonna annoy the pants the off of you entire recording of the episode <laughs> but like not anything to scream over and or so faint over. yeah faint we have not had a faint that was disappointing mm-hmm. That felt so out like, of character here we go again with the bullshit and it felt so out of character yeah and then the fact that she didn't bring up the fact that she had touched the wheat, even though Ian should have realized that she had touched the wheat, 
Like that goes back into the Ian section in a couple of minutes. But the fact that she didn't bring up the fact that she had touched the wheat with the pesticide when we're all talking about it makes her that one character in the zombie movies that gets bitten by the zombie and doesn't bring up the fact that they've been bitten by until the zombie. Until it's too late. Until it's too late and then they have and to she's shoot biting them. biting your ass. Especially when we don't know this isn't like curable. Mm-hmm. So she could have brought it up and we could have all been like, oh, well, we need to cure this shit. All we got to do is get back to the TARDIS, which is what they get to, but could have. Got- <sighs> yeah, it's a whole thing. So for me, this is a regression for Barbara. Mm-hmm. Same. Definitely a regression. Same. So what are you going to give her points wise? Five. A five. Mm-hmm. That's pretty low. Mm-hmm. 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 She had some redeeming qualities in the sense that she was able to connect the dots, but just the whole fact that. The writers turned her back into this meek woman, and I had mm-hmm. to see a fainting scene, and it was just like this is just no. We've 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 progressed so much throughout the series that this is this is not the place for this to be anymore. Yeah, I gave her a six point five for the same reason. I, except you know what, fucking scratch that. I'll go bring her down to a five point five. Five point five because it was just. She gets that extra 0.5 boost for me probably because of her strength of character throughout many of the episodes. Because even with as awful as she was in the Aztecs, there's still that strength of character. Mm -hmm. She's still a strong fucking character. And this one, they just like seem to forget about that. (sighs) Yeah, it was really unfortunate. It was rough. Mm -hmm. It was rough. Mm -hmm. Um, So our other contemporary... What are you going to give Ian? You know, Ian, for me, this episode, like, he really didn't do too much. You know, he was he was the the guy that got in trouble. Right. The one that, like, got taken out in the box. Honestly, Ian, for me, is neither here nor there. You know, Um, still, you know, his disbelief in Susan after everything they've been through. Like, we're small. He's like, no, we're not. We're not small. Not small at all. You but know? to be fair, I feel like that is a continuation of his character. That's how he reacted the first time he walked into the TARDIS. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's just a denial. But at yeah. this point, I'm like, you've been, like, you've been with the, the TARDIS a lot, enough, and you've been with these this group enough where you know that the impossible is possible at yeah. this point. So fair. like, uh, you're you've been on notice, bro. Like, get with the fucking program. I'll give you that. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Um, yeah, we've been with the TARDIS for like months now so at this point he's just kind of annoying to me yeah um in terms of just like i get your character but like let's have a little bit of evolution writers yeah. you know like let's 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 we've evolved everyone else like mm-hmm. now it's time to evolve ian from just the muscle and the non-believer yeah. to a more poignant character fair in the series yeah i'll give you that yeah so for me he was a five too he was just kind of neutral just neither here nor there. Just plain old Ian. I where Ian is evolving for me is he's kind of becoming more of the audience. Cause there's moments where, like, at the very beginning of the first episode, the doctor says I'm going to go this way with Barbara. Ian, you go this way with Susan. And Ian literally rolls his eyes and goes, <sighs> and you have that moment of, oh, right. 
Ian is aware that every time the gr- the gang splits up, mm-hmm. we're going to run into problems. Mm-hmm. And so Ian is our fourth wall breaker. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that that's that if we're going to get character growth, mm-hmm. that we are getting that character growth mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did like in this episode, considering that we're still in that first season mindset of mm-hmm. we're an educational program. Of all of the episodes, I think this episode did it the best. Yeah. The bees. Yeah. And <laughs> Ian was our educator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Considering that Barbara's also a teacher, Ian was the one that said, had all of the moments of, this is why insects are good. Mm-hmm. This is why we don't want to get rid of this insect. This is why we don't want to get rid of that insect. And for his character, it seemed very natural. Mm-hmm. He worked very well with the writing. Mm-hmm. It worked mm-hmm. for the character, mm-hmm. considering that he came from being a science teacher. His ecological talking points mm-hmm. didn't seem like with, where, like in Marco Polo, it was very like, "Oh my fucking god, I yes, get it." Get Aladdin, the Hashashans, fuck off. Hashashans. Hashashans. <laughs> this one felt a little more natural, mm-hmm. but he's still our muscle. Yeah, let's punch through it. Yeah. Let's muscle our way through it. I can't be 100% mad at it, but I'll be honest, I'm a little bit bored with it at this Mm -hmm, point. mm -hmm. We're not really seeing a lot of character growth with our dear friend Ian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you gave him a five. I gave him a five too. Middle of the road, neither good nor bad. Just there. Ian. Mm -hmm. So we're getting into our bad guy score. Mm -hmm. Who is the bad guy for you? The scientist. The scientist, mm-hmm. he can't be the bad guy. No, he is. The other guy was the bad guy. No, he's he's the bad guy. Why is the scientist the bad guy? Because this, with the scientist, he was so... This is a whole saying with the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Quote of season one. Yes. His intention is to end world starvation. But he is willing to sit back and let some murderous corporate funder to give some murderous corporate funder the pass and aid and abet law terms. I love when she murder, goes all legal on me. With the murder, because he wants this project to succeed. And even when his project was deemed unethical or have some shaky things by homeboy investigator that got murdered in in episode one. The fact that he was just so willing to be just so passive about everything because his whole, his whole point of view was to get this good thing passed and to bring it back into like modern day, right? This Uh is something that I have struggled with in terms of, you know, when Trump was in office, folks that were just up in arms, including myself, against this man, we were thinking, censor this motherfucker, take him off all these platforms. He is doing more damage as good. I read the Herbert Marcuse essay about tolerant, repressive tolerance, and his whole point was to be a truly tolerant society, you have to be intolerant of intolerant opinions. By the end of the day, does that make me better than the most oppressive person? Because I'm just switching the panel from one extreme to the next. So this is what I thought in terms of this 
scientists. It's like, you are so gung-ho on doing good for society in terms of saving them from starvation, but you are willing to do evil to get to that point. So is it really good? But he doesn't know he's doing evil. Oh, he does because- No, he doesn't. Because he's willing to- he saw the guy got murdered. He knew, he didn't see him, but he knew he could deduce that this guy got shot in the heart so that this corporate funder story was not possible. It was not possible. And then the reason why the corporate funder shot this extra third party dude was because a third party dude was going to report on the science of this person being unethical. I'm raising my hand. Yes. Um, Diana, what do you what do you call lawyers in court? What do I say? Lawyers in court. Lawyer person over there in the corner. Uh, um, how are you going to argue the person that didn't shoot the guy is more evil than the guy that shot the guy? Because he let it happen. Yeah, but he didn't shoot anybody. No, but he was willing to cover for this guy, and therefore letting this evil guy do more harm. Yeah, but what I would argue here's what I'm going to argue is that what we're actually seeing with the scientists, scientist, look. Corporate guy, numero uno. Scientist guy, like, right there behind him, Mm -hmm. but not number one. Mm. Because number one guy, number one shot the guy. He did the actual physical violence. He is the most dangerous person. You You have the scientist guy who, if you don't have number one, is the most dangerous guy. He's still very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. But I would argue is suffering from PTSD from World War I or World War II. Mm-hmm. he's suffering from this sense of watching people starve yeah and he's trying to do the best that he can and this and when he learns and, and, ah, no no no, mm-hmm. no miss lawyer you're gonna shut the fuck up for a second all right well, i'm gonna bring it back to palestine and israel no, no, no. Uh, and he's seen all of these people starve and he's trying to figure out look i don't think this i'm not arguing for the science guy Mm-hmm. I'm just arguing that the other guy is worse. And this is both where, of them are pretty awful. Are and this is ridiculously awful. This is where we differ because I think that the guy who shoots the gun it's easy to prosecute him and take him away. But the lasting threat is the covert enemy, and that is what we've seen in today's society in terms of racism. That is what we are seeing manifest. But I don't think that the scientist was actually an evil dude. I think that, that once he learned that the sci- the other guy, the government guy, was trying mm-hmm. to say this is going to kill people, this is going to make a lasting impression, that he was like, oh, now that I know this, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But that he was, was the still, turning element. But he, he was, was not willing. a good guy. I'm not saying he's a good guy. And But I'm saying that there was but the that corporate the guy didn't give up fuck no matter what but that to me that is the biggest danger because you know you're fucked but you are willing to sacrifice your point and you are willing to still try to cover someone else's wrongdoing because your name is on the line and that's where the ego comes in in all this and this is what i said that he had the very good intention of making sure that no one else starved of making sure that folks had food on their table should another catastrophic global event like a world war happen. It's that whole idea that like 
I'm going to come up with a antibiotic because I had to sit and watch millions of people die from COVID. Sure. So that's the argument that someone can make for Agent Orange. Oh, fuck. So God damn the, it. Your point is moot. I don't like arguing with a lawyer. <laughs> your, point, your point is moot at this point. Like, yeah, you got to yeah. come at me with a Vietnam reference. <laughs> God damn it. Even with the whole, whoever invented no, the atomic bomb. look. But what so, about the atomic so bomb? Were you, so here, so what you're arguing is the guy that said, I want to come up, let's go with the Agent Orange reference mm-hmm. because that one I think is more appropriate for a pesticide mm-hmm. comparison. What you're arguing is, what you're arguing is the guy that pays for Agent Orange is less bad when he knows what the intent for Agent Orange is and knows that he wants to make the money from Agent Orange, then the scientist that creates Agent Orange with the best intentions in mind. You, you think that scientist is worse than the guy with so these... You created spe- the weapon. With the specific intentions. You created the weapon. It's like with the atomic bomb equation. The person who invented the atomic bomb equation never intended it for it to be used for mass human destruction. Correct. Correct. But it fell into the hands of someone, the technology, and this is just the argument in terms of technology too, right? Like uh, advancements, you cameras got, no, on my phone. You got me with the AR. You know, you know how I feel about smart houses. So like, God damn. this is one of those things where it's like, these evil people, yes, are preying on these great minds, but it's these great minds that are... Filled with good intentions. They're not, they're first. But I don't think you can, I don't, I don't think that we can take, I have, from a scientific point of view, Mm -hmm. granted, we, part of the issue here, I Mm -hmm. think that we're looking at in this debate is that you're coming from this legal background and I can't help but come from a scientific and academic background. I get the idea of the scientist. Mm -hmm. I get that his mindset was bigger. His mindset was for the good of humanity because we're coming out of World War II, right? We're coming out of a, a series of years where shit was hard. And, and, and he has the best intentions to make sure that no one suffers this again. Yeah. We are met with a corporate entity, mm-hmm. right? Who is like, ah, the money, the capitalism, yeah. right? Biting into this whole ideology. But where I feel that the tables turn in terms of villainous Mm -hmm. and villainous action is where the scientist now partakes in the thought of this person where, oh, to get your idea promoted, yeah, I had to kill this guy. Yeah, I had to do this thing. And you're going to help me, um, you know, make this body disappear. You're going to help me make sure that no one draws attention to this project. His idea, and and the reason why he made sure to try to do all this, like, murder and and, and bury the body, was because he wanted to secure his corporate funding. Yeah. But the scientist wanted his good idea to come to fruition. So he partnered with the villain. But at the end of the day, who made the science? Who Really, and I'm just thinking about this in terms of context of nationalism, the context of our U.S. debate today, 
right? The context of Palestine and Israel, right? And and I think I can I can point this really back to Palestine and Israel. You know that's where you're gonna get me, girl. I know, but <laughs> you know this one this is one of my big passions. Which for me, it's like Israel, right? The people, the Jews. Fuck. We were you got, persecuted. I, I know. You've already got me. Yeah. We were persecuted. I know. They were going. persecuted. There was a whole notion of ethnic cleansing. We're going to get rid of all these people. We're going to exterminate. Bit, I'm going I'm to I'm stop you because I'm going to make your point. I, I, I feel like I know where you're going. Mm-hmm. The policies they're enacting are based off of things that they have suffered. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the policies that they're enacting are humane or good in any way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. And that it still doesn't mean that the policies that are enacting today aren't absolutely fucking horrific. Mm-hmm. And with that statement, you've got me. 100% I'll go with the scientist. Because one of my com- my arguments about the scientist is that I have a big issue with the fact that he's making this pesticide and doesn't seem to have an issue with killing the bees. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we know that the bees are a very integral right. no, part no, no. of our society. If he was more concerned beforehand with killing the bees... Mm-hmm. If there was that kind of idea of like, I'm trying to make sure that it's as humane as possible and then finds out at the end of the episode that it's also killing the bees, but that's been an intent from the beginning to not kill the bees, I would probably argue a little more. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he doesn't even seem to have cared before then, Mm -hmm. it's the same as it's very... The issue that we're seeing, I, ha- I hesitate to say conflict in Israel and Palestine because I just read a very intense article about why mm-hmm. that is a huge mm-hmm. misnomer. And even it's not the, a just, conflict. just the whole way that the media is portraying it, right? You know, like landlord, and like guys, like, like if eviction. you have any conf- if you have any issue about what we're about what we're talking about right now, um, hashtag Free Palestine. Yes, without a doubt, one hundred percent, without a fucking doubt, one hundred percent. But it's that whole idea. We come from the same point of view. It's two that we very come from two ways. very different yeah. ways of getting to the same point of view. Yeah. Because the capitalist is still fucking wrong. Yeah. It's it's that whole thing that for me it's a sliver of a hair. You only got me to go with the scientist because of that very specific argument point. Because for me, I will go ahead and give the scientist the points here. Mm-hmm. Because throughout the episode, he continues to say, I don't want to know. 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 He probably says that line more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason I'm going to give the scientists the points. Mm -hmm. Because for me, the capitalist, it reminds me where I was, where a lot of this for me was coming from was a lot of my, my protest background and where I have really always been involved with politics is in um, corporate funding for politicians. Mm -hmm. And one of the big, big people in corporate funding for politicians is Monsanto. Mm -hmm. And I, there was a good long time and I still have a good long list of people that I will not buy from because I know that they are corporations under the Monsanto label. Mm -hmm. And to me, Monsanto's the bad guy. So like Monsanto's the big bad guy. He's the one that pays for all of this shit. Mm -hmm. He's the one that it's like the Koch brothers. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that pay for all of this stuff Mm -hmm. to happen. 
the stuff that happens under Monsanto, under the Koch brothers, I'm not saying they're good people, but there's a big portion of them that's where it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They are trying to do their best under the situation they have found themselves in. Mm -hmm. The Koch brothers, the Monsanto is the problem. Mm -hmm. You break that down and sure, there are going to be some of these people under the Monsanto label that are still problems, but there are a good number of those people that have just found themselves trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and would have the freedom to do the right thing and to be able to ask the questions of, what are we doing to the bees? Mm-hmm. If Monsanto's not paying the bill and saying, if you ask these questions, I'll fire you. Mm-hmm. If you ask these questions, you don't get health insurance. If you ask these questions, you lose your entire livelihood. Mm-hmm. And because that's part of my political background is, and Monsanto is who makes Roundup. They're, they're, interestingly enough, they're a big pesticide group. Mm. And Monsanto is arguably the reason why the bees are dying. Mm -hmm. Monsanto is arguably why we have a problem with pestilence Mm -hmm. in the world, not just America. And it's probably that background that makes me feel less about the scientists than I do about the corporate overlord. Mm -hmm. Because the corporate overlord makes the conditions that the scientists can't ask the correct questions. But then it's a scientist that buys into those conditions. You don't know that he's buying into it. You don't know that he is not saying, I can't ask this question because. But but that's also saying, that's also that's also the other point. Like, what if he is being able to like, and, and I'm just thinking in terms of legally and how I accept a case. Mm-hmm. Scientists are smart individuals. Correct. Like I am a but smart But we're still individual. able to be. I know that when I'm buying into something. I understand the landscape. I know, maybe naively, where this is going. I cannot totally say that this scientist was free of guilt in knowing that this was his corporate partner. Because I just think about like funding opportunities, right? For like nonprofit organizations, especially organizations that are bipartisan but if he had this opportunity Mm. where he got this money to be able to make something that he felt was doing the right thing and the research that showed him that he that was it was dangerous was being hidden from him by his employer Mm -hmm. by the guy who was providing the grant Mm -hmm. because that's what we were seeing the whole first two-thirds of the series he was being lied to about why the guy was murdered. Yeah, but he then knew he the was, guy was he murdered. He was put on notice, though. I think when there is a murder, when he even no, for sure, I'm not arguing he he's made not a bad guy. The assumption, like I'm he not already ar- knew, you shot him in the fucking heart. Yeah, but I'm not arguing he's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not arguing he's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy, one hundred and ten percent. But the assumption that he didn't somehow think, oh my God, I have this chance to make a difference in the world. And there just aren't very many. I've just not run into very many scientists that we don't get into this job. We don't get into this profession because of the money. That's not what this job is for. Like Mm -hmm. you don't, if someone has told you that you get to make money because you get into science, they're lying to you. Mm -hmm. You have to do it from the passion. 
And so if someone says, I'm going to give you the funding to do what you want to do and you do it and you think you're riding high and you think you've finally created a way to combat hunger that you watched hundreds to thousands of people die from and the research that says that this is also killing the same number is being hidden from you because that's not what the scope of your study is doing. There is a reason that when I do a study, you have peer review. Mm -hmm. That's a part of the scientific process Mm -hmm. is that I do this research and then you do combative research. And then I have access to your study so that I can see what you're also saying. And your study was being hidden from me. And this is why I say... So it doesn't make me the bad guy. It doesn't. It makes the guy that's hiding your research from me the bad guy. Because the second he saw that your research was combating it, he was like, I can't do this anymore. But I... And I I, I will accept that. But then once he saw murder was involved, and as a scientist, he was able to deduce that it was murder. Well, right. I'm not saying he's not a bad guy. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the guy that is foiling the scientific process is the worst guy. Also, who gave that bad guy the fire to be a bad guy? Which one? The scientist or the capitalist? The capitalist. Who We don't have that motivation for him. Who gave him the right... Who gave him the ammunition to do what he does? We don't have that ammunition. We don't have yes, that motivation. We do. No, we yes, don't. we do. No, we yes, don't. we do. Yes, Absolutely we do. Absolutely not. He preyed on the good intention scientist. Yeah, so he is the bad to guy. To get that. But at the end of the day, the scientist covered for him. The scientist only was willing to a certain to point. go but only forward to a with point. him. And only but, until, but, but, only but until Diana, you're found- missing the entire point. Like... Yes, in idealistic world, that would be the bad guy. But like, they're well-intentioned people. Well-intentioned people in history have made very shitty things. True. Very, very shitty things. Absolutely. Who's to say that Hitler was not well-intentioned in trying to make his race the best race? Well, except that he created concentration camps. Like, that's a very different thing. And who helped him create them? He didn't do it by himself. He sure. didn't do it by himself. He had scientists. Well, yes, he had but people scientists that were, that given, were willing yeah, 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 to yeah. do that. But he had scientists that were totally aware of the whole picture. Yeah, but they also had the well intention in their mind of like, yeah, this but is the what scientist we're that do. creates that doesn't have the whole picture, you cannot give them just no. the, the whole moniker of the bad guy if you don't have the whole picture, if you don't have all the data. But no, for and me, you have for me in this episode, that. the agenda was revealed. He knew. But only the agenda at the end. was revealed. But only he at knew. the end. He knew. He knew. At the point where someone was dead, he should. He was on notice that something fishy was wrong. Yes, I'm not saying he's and a good he guy. Knew. I'm not. And but yeah, but I'm not knew. saying he's a good and guy. He could had the ability to continue creating the science to make that man's vision come alive. But I'm not. So s- who is the true villain in terms the of cap- that? I'm. St- I would. Still- I am sticking Girl, to the, the more scientist. you argue it. Okay, that's fine. That's I am fine. sticking to the scientist. You can because go to the scientist, am- but the more that you argue it, the more you're turning me more towards the capitalist. No, because for- I'm not saying like if the capitalist is a ten, the scientist is a nine point nine. 
scientists wanted starvation to end. Yeah. Great intention. How it was going to happen? I don't give a shit if this guy was shot. I'm going to help you actually cover it up. Right? Oh, uh, he was unveiling unethical things. He didn't know that, though. I didn't though. know. But he didn't know that at the but time. But I was still willing to cover it up because I wanted my son. And this is where ego comes into. Again, I am not arguing that you shouldn't make the scientist the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But no, for me, for me, that's it. That's what so, it is. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, we probably were going around in circles at mm-hmm. this point. Like, So what score do you give the scientist? Scientist, he gets a heavy 10. Sure, I give the capitalist a heavy 10. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's fair. I think that that's essentially what we're arguing here. Yeah. Is that... They're both bad people, but I think the person that makes the weapon is the worst. And I think the guy that... I think that just because I create the knife doesn't mean I can control what you do with it. But exactly. And, at the same time, but also my, you have to think about those things. No, you don't. These you things. don't. But you don't. And in science... You have to, it's that whole idea that like, as a, as a scientist, science is just about discovery. Yeah. And as an attorney, everything is liability. Sure. But that's, (laughs) but that's where our perspectives differ. Yeah. Because I do come from that world of like, I have been, I have been in the position of discovering something brand new, of discovering that something was happening that nobody it was just me and my lab partner where we were the only two people in the whole world that knew something we were the only people and the incredible feeling that's associated with that mm-hmm. and yeah that's ego a hundred percent i was gonna but, say was that ego <laughs> but every job everything that anybody everything you do is also centered everything we do is centered around ego we can boil everything down to ego. You can't blame me for discovering that something happens, that I can do this thing, and what person over there does with this information, that's not my fault. And to put that on me puts an onus on everybody for everything that we do that is unfair and takes all the blame off of that other person. I see what you're, I I understand your point, but as an attorney, you know, I am taught to think of all the scenarios. Sure. The, the the example I would use is that you can't blame David Bowie for inventing the Bowie knife when person B over there uses the Bowie knife to hold up a convenience store. Mm -hmm. It's not Bowie's fault that person B used his knife to hold up a convenience store when David Bowie used it invented it because it was easier to live a frontier wild and, life. and i will accept that except if you were actually like oh you use the bowie knife let me help you like bury the body let me help you do all for this sure stuff. it's why if we had two bad you know, guys scientist ha- is yeah. 9.9 i i for me both of them are bad guys yeah. but in terms of creation and, and just in my legal mind yeah. of what i feel was the initial weapon Right, that is that is why I give the scientist the most. Obviously, I'm always going to think that corporate America, corporate whatever, has its villainous. You, yeah, yes. Can I ask you what would you give the capitalist? The capitalist would be really right behind. I think they'd be tied. 
Okay. Both okay. of them would then be we're tight. we're on really the same page. No, yeah. But for me, the if I had to pick one, yeah, it was the scientist. Not only because of the genius and the creation, but it was because of the aiding and abetting sure. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Murder is never okay. So if in the extreme, 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 extreme situation, if you think you've got a real great upstanding employer who is the most in line with your viewpoint as you can get, and you're doing the kind of work that is your dream work, you think you're doing the best thing possible, and your employer says, this guy is getting in our way, and I happen to have shot him because he was trying to stop our work from ending Ebola in Africa. The second that murder is involved, you're going to bow out? For me, yes. Fair. Because Fair. Yeah. a life is a life. Fair. No, I agree with and you. And a life should not be taken lightly. I agree. I agree with you. And if you are willing to murder someone for Fuck. your bottom line, that's going to raise questions. You got me. I'm switching. <laughs> because I have a... You have reminded me that I am opposed to the death penalty because I personally, on a moralistic viewpoint, believe that nobody has the right to take the life of another human, no matter what. That's where I was for thinking no where I was saying this. Yeah. For no reason does any human have the right to take the life of another human. And as a scientist, the second that I find, I agree with you. That's the point that I keep forgetting in all of this is that and scene. in Just that kidding. beginning no, <laughs> in that beginning episode, if they had not included the murder of that mm-hmm. man, he was just trying to do the right thing. When it comes down to it, no human has the right to take the life of another human being, period. Mm-hmm. Period. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter who you think the, what the other person has done, including the murder, the fact that he can just say, I don't want to know is where he loses me. And to be fair, I just, I get real tired. You know what? You know what my problem with all this motherfucking shit is? Because I encompass all scientists. No, it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) It has to do with the too much of the science fiction bullshit wants to make the scientists the bad guy. Why the fuck is science fiction making scientists the bad guy? Science fiction, you owe everything to science. Because I think it's the naivety. No, fuck no, 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 no. As a legal we gotta mind, start making some of these mind. scientists. We gotta make some. We got science fiction. You gotta start making scientists the good guys because without us, you ain't got any shit. So Diana just started a movement. Uh, hashtag free scientists. Free the scientists. <laughs> some of us is a real good shit. I got a whole list of real good scientists. Makes me so mad. You know what? That's what is it. That's where my anger is coming from in this episode. Is that it's so frustrating for scientists to always be the bad guys in the movies and everything. They always make the scientists the bad guys. When like scientists are hampered by research, scientists are hampered by public perception. Scientists are usually hampered by nonprofit organizations. They're hampered by grants. We're all fighting each other. We're fighting grants, the people giving us the money. We're this. we're fighting each other. The fellow scientists trying to ac- accomplish the exact same thing, and 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 so we don't get to accomplish anything really great because we're fighting fucking everyone around us. And so Welcome they get to, to be the immigration bad guy. law in America. Ugh. Welcome. 
That's why I don't like scientists being the bad guy and why I fight for them. I'll fight for them every time. And scene. The capitalist has that moment, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, Jen's going to have a field day with this, where he says something, the scientist goes, oh, shit, you're going to say this anyway. And the capitalist goes, well, fucking duh. And at that point, if I hadn't been like the scientist going to be the bad guy before, me coming to this process has it now. The scientist goes, oh, fuck, I'm an accessory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a legal word. And yes. He's the accessory. And the second that you accept that you're an accessory. That's it, baby. You're done. It didn't even have to be your acceptance. It was just the fact that you had an agreement. Yeah. The fact that you were able to be like, okay. So. At the first instance. I'm going to go ahead and cut this conversation. Yeah, because we need a, we need a rate. We gotta wrap it up, <laughs> guys. There, I promise this conversation went longer than you think it did. I will. We prob- literally dove into this thing for I, a look, couple I don't hours. know. I don't know at what timestamp you are right now listening to this podcast, but I'm going to tell you that we're at about two hours and t- fifty five minutes. Mm-hmm. So we gotta cut this thing. Yeah. We've agreed. We have agreed that the scientist is a ten. Yes. The capitalist is basically a 9.9. I would also give him a 10. Cool. I'm a, a, you know what? That's what we're going to do. This is a very rare episode where we have two bad guys. They are a duo. They are not one guy. We're going to try and wrap this up in like 20 minutes. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. How do we feel about this this whole story? I actually like this story. It's a good fucking story. I really. Did you know, like, for me being such a like party pooper in the first uh, season, like, I was really happy. Yeah. It also, I'm a '90s kid, so this was very much like, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Yeah. You know, like, I loved it. Look, here's what I felt was when they all started. Ian was like, "This is very World's Fair." I was like, "You know what it feels like?" It felt very the children's museum. Yeah, everything was great. Everything is good, and we're we're loving it. Bye. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna probably include that because that was too funny. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. So generally, the story was really great. I thought it was a really impressive thing. I think it's a really great example of what's going on in the 70s. But it really started in the 70s with the environmental movement. Yes. Um, it's just still impactful today. Rachel Carson did a study in like 1962. Let me flip the page and see if I'm correct. Where she wrote this book called Silent Spring. And it was a study on the fact that DDT was as it, you it was a pesticide that you sprayed on plants. As it moves up the food chain, it um, is exponentially more powerful and was causing birth defects and it's why we don't see ddt used today and it's why it's considered internationally a problem so we are seeing this story really is a ramification of the in because ddt was also what we used to combat malaria ddt was the first time we were starting to say 
maybe not the best idea. This mm-hmm. is, we're actually seeing problems up the food chain. And this is actually something we study in, in, in biology today, mm-hmm. which is where as you move up the food chain, things are exponentially multiplied problematically. We see it in mercury and fishes mm-hmm. where we dump mercury into the ocean is that mo- as it moves up the food chain, it's why marlin can be really problematic to eat mm-hmm. in restaurants because they're apex predators. Oh. And because they're the top of the food chain, that mercury gets compounded in their bloodstream. And so by the time you eat it, it's again amplified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and so yeah. it's a problem in you. Mm-hmm. And so DDT is a similar thing. And so this is a response to DDT, which was a huge problem. And I think this was a really a fair critique of what was happening mm-hmm. agriculturally um, and is why, again, I'll go back and say like the scientist and the capitalist can't have to work together to create something so atrocious. All I have to say is that this set would have been fun. The set was oh, great. Oh, for sure. I would have loved to call in a live ant. The ants, the matchstick, the matchbox, the briefcase, playing in the sink. Everything about this was would have been so the fun set as a set. would have been great, but like real life, no. terrifying. The music was also fun. Mm-hmm. They did a good job playing with the music this episode. Mm-hmm. When they said things that were going to be like, ooh, we're about to go on a caper, the music got like, plunk, plunk, plunk. The green screen was fun. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of extra kind of work in this episode that was entertaining. This is our first story set on contemporary Earth. You know, if they had not been shrunk, we would have been in the right time frame for Ian and Barbara to escape. And it's notable that our regular cast members, the TARDIS gang, as it were, this is our first story where they did not interact with our secondaries. Mm-hmm. So all of our Earth people never interacted with the TARDIS gang. Um, you remember at the first of all, the cliffhangers this episode were this story were great. The cat, the cat, yeah. the sink, yeah, w- mundane cliffhangers, but they worked better than I think. Than I think any cliffhanger we've had so far. Mm-hmm. Now the cat, apparently, uh, originally there's supposed to be four episodes. Notice we had three, mm-hmm. and one of the things they cut out was that the cat was supposed to drink from some water that had pesticide in it and was supposed to fucking die. <gasps> and they decided it was too traumatizing. And I'm gonna tell you, if that cat had fucking died from some pesticide. You would have had no argument for me with the scientist. <laughs> you kill that cat and I'm done. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I'm glad it took cat for you to realize my argument. Yeah, I mean, I'm a... I know you're a cat lover, but goddamn. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know I'm kidding, but... But for the sake of the, uh, the episode, yeah. that would have been a really great point... Almost, I feel like they should have left it in, but they felt it would have been too traumatizing for the children. But also, they knew they couldn't like do whatever their like other messaging was supposed to be in there. Right. And when it comes down to it, I agree with you. That being said, story score. 
in terms of like innovation, everything else, everything was happening. It was a robust, yeah, series. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, it gave us much more conversation. It gave me SVU vibes. It gave us much more conversation than what I was anticipating. It gave me SVU vibes, mm-hmm. and I love SVU, so I'm gonna give it a nine. There we go. I gave it a 9.5. Mm-hmm. And I gave it a 9.5 because I went into this episode, us talking about it, and you were like, this is good. And I was like, I don't know. Us discussing the baddie score jumped it from a 7 to a 9.5 for me because that debate was so enriching for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I grew from it. Mm-hmm. To the extent that I think that it deserves that score. If it can elicit that kind of a debate between the two of us. It's a good episode. It's a good episode. Good series. It's the ones where we go, "Eh, I guess this was the bad guy. Eh, I guess this is what happened. But the ones where we go, I need to put this show on pause so we can talk about some real shit for a second. Yeah. Those are the ones that are good. Mm -hmm. Even if it's three episodes, even though it feels basic, even though it feels kiddie, it really brought up some real shit. Is the scientist the bad guy? Is the creator of the tool the bad guy? Or is the person that utilizes the tool the bad guy in the wrong way? Both are such valid points, and I feel like we really got into it. And at this point, recording this episode... I don't know how much I included. So it was so fascinating. The rest of it was like hokey whatever, but the conversation it elicited brings it up to a 9.5 for me. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the really the first one where I feel like I want other opinions. Yeah, because honestly, like both of us are coming from two different perspectives. So different. And I feel like, we both, you worked law, I worked science, we've both worked nonprofit. And so please, guys, if you have an opinion, please reach out because this is a part of reality. This is a part of what we we're also with. here to learn, you know, like as much as I may seem or Diana may seem like set in our ways, like we are still here to learn. Honestly, y'all, like season two. So you gave it the story a nine. I'm giving it a 9.5. It's a pretty great story, mm-hmm. but it's nothing if it's not neat. So is it neat or not? I think for me, it's still neat. Cause oh, it's still like Jesus. generally like overall, it hits all the points that I said before. Yeah. You know, even before we had the really great dialogue about our baddie, it's just a fun episode. It's a fun episode. It's yeah. children's museum-y. It's can I climb the wall? It's look, there's a big ant. Let me climb through the hole. You know, it, it's that sense uh, as an adult, it's that sense of childlike discovery that permeates the episode. It's a big ass cat. It's a sink is scary. It's that domestic horror that is fun. And then you had to go and make the baddie conversation be a mind fuck. And may, as an adult, this is why our listeners tune in. So uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? You're welcome.
from mm-hmm. the moon, the stars, and the sky. Okay, so we both think it's neat. This was a really fun episode. It was a good one. Now, the next episode, we're going to say hello to our first resurgence of a baddie. Are you ready? <sighs> Fuck. Who do you think it is? I don't know. It's the Daleks. <gasps> Okay. It's going to be a longer episode. But fuck. It's a series of six, so it's not actually that long. But also, we have all felt the remnants of the Daleks in society, so like, how new will it be? I mean, like, let's be real. We've talked about the Daleks every episode. Honestly. You know, as much as they were whatever, that first episode for you, Mm -hmm. we all know that I loved them. We all know this. Flashback to episode. Yeah. So for you, they were like whatever. And for me, they were like everything. But we still have talked about the ramifications of what does the Daleks mean almost every episode. And they realize, the writers have realized this. So they're going to be the last episode written for this season one block. This episode is arguably a game changer. So we shall see. We shall see. We're going to see how you feel about it. I am personally very excited about it. I'm excited to see what you think about it. And as for now, it's going to be Sayonara. Adios, motherfuckers. Bye. Hey, y'all, it's Diana. Thank you so much for listening to the end of the episode. If you want to catch us for another dram, subscribe to get Doctor Who on the Rocks as soon as it's released. And if you think we're neat, please rate and review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. You can also check us out at on the rocks pod, all underscored, on Instagram. Or if you have comments or concerns or even better, whiskey recommendations, please send them to mediaontherockspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. We look forward to seeing y'all again in two weeks for the next episode and another glass of whiskey. See you next time.